America, my name is I'm Yosef Frimpong. I come to you live every Friday about this time. And today I'm going to talk to you about the Poor People's Campaign and some of my problems with it. This is going to be a two-parter because I'm not a huge fan of Reverend Barber, but um, I'm going to deal with that in the next episode. This one I'm going to, on this episode, I'm just going to talk about some of the fundamental structural problems in kind of how the campaign ideology, right? But while people come in and watch this, I have a few thoughts I want to just pop off um, uh, about the inauguration and the transfer of power. Just know, people watching, that if you would have elected Bernie Sanders, you and all of your friends' student loans would be gone today. Like right now, they would just be gone. Poof. <clears throat> That's all a matter of executive power. And now you can say, well, you know, Sanders wouldn't have won Georgia. But, you know, he would have played better in Ohio and Missouri and anywhere there are lots of Latinos. And heck, even in Georgia, you have to remember, I'm in Georgia right now. They painted Warnock as like black Stalin. Like he was both black in a white supremacist state and like Stalin, a communist. And that didn't matter because the people in Georgia wanted their checks. And if you don't know, Georgia's a third black. So if you get us voting and Stacey Abrams wants us voting because in two years she wants us voting for her. Um, like... That's, it wouldn't have mattered. It would not have mattered. Uh, people wanted their checks. About those checks. <clears throat> there is a, uh, sorry, I should have had some water before I came on. About those checks, people say like, well, you know, <coughs> what they're talking about is, What they're talking about is, um, you know, the $600 plus the um, uh, $600 plus the $1,400 for a total of $2,000. No one was ever promised an actual $2,000 check. Except the problem is, once again, I live in Georgia and I, uh, I, I get receipts. That was it. This is, <laughs> I don't know what you want. Like this, this was an ad that popped up on my Facebook for like, I don't know, a few weeks. And I got this ad, um, this was after I got my check, $600. So like, I, don't, I don't know what you want to tell people, but I can read. I don't know if, that's, if you want it any more clear than that. I'm just saying, I can read. That says, want a $2,000 check and a picture of a check, vote Warnock. I want a $2,000 check, and I am in Georgia, and I voted for Warnock. Like, I, I, I don't know what to tell you. That's, I don't make these ads up. I just know that I know how to keep a promise. And you shouldn't need, honestly, you shouldn't need an accountant and a, uh, and a lawyer to keep can, uh, political officials on their promises. Like, I, you shouldn't need that much. I shouldn't have to like, get a lawyer to keep, to keep Warnock on his promise. I need him out there saying, no, Joe, I promised my people $2,000, and we're going to deliver them $2,000. And we're not going to give him any excuses about, like, well, it depends on what the definition of $2,000 is. All right? So there's that. Also, I wouldn't be surprised if the Democrats are feeding you Amanda Gorman, you know, the, 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 the young woman who said the poem at the inauguration, as kind of a smokescreen to get you to stop asking whether it's my money, right? Like, all right, so we could either, like, give them money or give them a picture of a beautiful black woman. 
well, if we learned anything from Obama, it's that we don't actually have to give black people anything as long as we give them a picture of black excellence. Like, but that's hopefully we've learned something from uh, even if the Democratic establishment hasn't learned anything from Obama, we've learned something from Obama that like, no, we actually need money. I don't need a picture of a black. I don't need a picture of beautiful black people. You give me money, I'll make my daughters beautiful. I don't need a picture of other beautiful black people. <laughs> like, I, you give me money, good job. We'll create our own beautiful black people. Um, thank you. Ah, uh, and I'm not, con- I've, you know, I've thought this ever since, thought this for a while. I don't know if Democrats want to govern. They might want to win, but they only want to win in order to, like, help the fundraising machinery and put like a win on the uh, on their resume so that they can go and make money in the private sector. I don't know if they actually want to win and govern. And I saw this in Chicago when a lot of people just kind of just didn't want to deal with school issues. Like that's what a lot of the charter movement is. Like the public policy, public uh, officials don't want to actually have to make decisions about like big cultural institutions like schools. Republicans do. Republicans are very school- serious about their school policy. Like they want, they concern themselves with the content. Democrats just want it off their plate. They want to rather, they'd rather hang out with, uh, you know, tech and banking people and, and like let the private sector deal with the school, call it choice. I don't know, whatever. Just, I don't want to deal with that. The fundraisers are better if I, if I, if I just hang out with the bankers and developers, right? So I'm not convinced that Democrats actually want to govern. They just want to win to keep on the grip. Actually, there are no small number of people, I swear, there are no small number of people in Washington today who wish either Ossoff or Warnock would have lost because that way they could just send out fundraising emails and blame McConnell. They don't want to get rid of the filibuster because like, they, they don't want to have to have a 60. They want to have to have a 60 um, vote majority in order to pass like, major policies. They're not trying to get rid of the filibuster. They actually want, um, you can do a lot of things with 50 plus one votes in committee, but they don't want to do that. And they're not going to tell you about that because they don't want to be on the hook for the responsibility of governance. They just want to win to make the fundraising grift easier. And that's a, there's a difference. There are people who care about governance and there are people who care about the grift. And make no mistake, if Mike Pence were president with a Republican Senate and a Republican House, we'd be, it'd be looking like something out of, of, of a Margaret Atwood novel. Like, there would be, um, he would be pushing conservative, like, Christian policy and white supremacy through the legislature as much as he could aggressively, Right? And like if Bernie Sanders was president, your loans would be gone as of today. Like it would just be like, yeah, we've done that. And it wouldn't be any like means testing or $10,000 or even $50,000. Like Bernie was running clearly. And I know enough people in his campaign to know that he was like, no, we're just going to cancel all that shit. So it just would have been done. But Joe Biden, you get like now, now apparently COVID relief doesn't matter. He's going for immigration reform. Yeah. All right. So, um, so with that, I think that's enough of the intro. I think the people are watching. I'm going to go, I'm going to tell you what's wrong with the poor people's campaign. Well, the big difference before I hit the opening is we have to redefine poverty. We're going, we're going with actually a regressive understanding of poverty. And I blame Barbara, although I'm going to spend all next week's show 
telling you what's wrong about Barbara. This one, I'm going to tell you what's wrong about the Poor People's Campaign. Peace. All right. Hit the opening. To the beach, oh. So we have to, you can't have a poor people's campaign with a degraded notion of poverty. And we have a notion of poverty that's tied to material sustenance, but not to actually exercising power. And and this is, and right, it, you're not just fighting to eat, you're fighting to be recognized as somebody, right? And not just some man's boy or some man's tool, right? The Poor People's Campaign was founded out of uh, King's movement at the end of his life uh, and probably got its like, greatest expression during the, the Memphis protest when two trash men were killed uh, working in shoddy equipment in Memphis. And, uh, you know, the, the working conditions and wages were poor. And, and like, this is where uh, King was launching the Poor People's Campaign in, in Memphis. And, you know, they weren't, they weren't marching for food. Like, they weren't marching for food. They're marching to be recognized as somebody. And when King... Announce a poor people's campaign in a great speech, in a great speech that more people should read called Showdown for Nonviolence. Um, he was talking about economic rights. He was talking about a federal job guarantee. And if you couldn't work, you can get replacement pay. But mostly he wanted uh, you to be able to work and be paid well for your work. That means you are a recognized person in, um, in society and you are actually paid as much and it would just be, you know, regular working hours and these jobs were unionized. It was actually like a federal job guarantee um, and then replacement pay for people who couldn't work for any other reasons. And he was talking about an economic bill of rights. That's not what Barber's talking about. He's talking about a moral movement. And there are a few things wrong with just an idea of a moral movement in, in general. One, you don't ever want your freedom to be at someone else's discretion. Because if your freedom is at someone else's discretion, that means you're not free. <laughs> um, this is the difference between non-interference and freedom. Non-interference, uh, non-interference and non-domination, right? None of these are quite freedom, but like there's, there's a ladder that I'm building. And if you stick with me, you'll learn a lot of things. Uh, all right. So if you stick with me, you'll learn a lot of things, right? So non-interference means that, all right, so... Mark Zuckerberg owns Facebook and Jack Dorsey owns, runs Twitter. And if I tick any of them off, they could kick me off their platforms, but it's okay because they're nice guys and uh, they let me do what I want. That's non-interference. So I could be free because they're cool, right? That's still domination. I'm still making mine mint and paying for my kids' lessons and rent and equipment based on their discretion. I'm still their tool. I'm still, there's a, it's psychologically working on me. I mean, not really. I just get banned from Facebook every, every, every six months or so. Um, but uh, even if they happen to not interfere with me, I'm still not free because they have the recognized power to just kick me off their platform because they feel like it. 
right? So I'm still their tool. That's a problem. And so non-domination, this is kind of a civic republicanism, and it actually goes all the way down to the origins of the Republican Party, which kind of emerged out of um, a problem with slavery, is that you're not free unless you are out of the thumb of a master. Like, as long as you're, like, at the capricious, arbitrary power of a master, you're not free. Whether that master is King George, or whether that master is your boss, Zuckerberg, or whether that master is, I don't know, your spouse. Like, you're not, you're not free unless you're under, if, you're, if your objective world, your life and livelihood depends on, uh, like, the discretion of some arbitrary power that you can't contest in any substantive way, right? So that's the, kind of a Republican uh, Republic, civic republicanism is what it's called. I mean, you could Google these things, but it's old and it's, uh, it's a kind of freedom as non-domination as opposed to the liberal freedom of non-interference. Because you could say, you know, Google isn't, Google who owns you, YouTube isn't interfering with me, so I'm really free. But I know that at any point in time, Google can decide that I'm too hot and, uh, and cut me off. Which is, so I'm not, I'm still kind of their tool, right? Now I'm going to try to press them and hopefully slide under the radar, but I need you to go to www.funkyacademic.com and kick in $5, 15 or $50 a month because the quality of wisdom that I dispense every Friday, I think is very important for your freedom. And all the kind of clarity that I'm, I give over out of my own largesse is, is good for your freedom. And at any point in time, Sergey or whomever over at Google can just decide that, that I'm too much of a troublesome Negro and cut me off and then you won't see me again because they own all of the things, right? So uh, if my, for some reason my Gmail account gets shut down and my YouTube station gets shut down and then since they're all friends, they make a phone call to Zuckerberg and, and then my Facebook gets shut down. Uh, like that's it. That's a wrap. So I need you to donate now so that in the eventuality of that happening, I could come up with a, I could, I could buy my way onto another platform or do something and, and, and then keep my message going. Right. So you give me money that secures my economic independence and secures my political freedom in a way that allow me to dispense the quality of wisdom that you need every Friday and that your kids need. Or they'll make you a better, you know, parent, friend, and citizen. All right. So non-domination is going to be an issue of, being under the auspices of some tyrant right, who controls arbitrarily the objective conditions of my life, even if they're, they are okay, even if they happen to be nice. Just the fact that it's at their discretion means I'm just a tool. I'm just a slave. I'm just a slave to a good master. Ooh, ooh, Mr. Mark been good to me. Ooh, Mr. Zuckerberg, Mr. Zuckerberg been good to me. No, that's not, that's not how I'm going to live my life, and that's not how I want you to live your life. Right, so first of all, you need a notion of poverty that's not just about eating, it's about not being the tool, not being some man's boy, not being the tool of somebody else. Because you can get paid very well being some man's boy, you're still poor, right? So you have a fundamentally impoverished notion of poverty if you think it's just about money. No, it's about, um, at the first stage, it's about non-domination. At the second stage, when you actually get into the weeds about this, it's not just going to be about non-domination. It's going to be about self-determination. That means exercising power um, on public institutions through which we live into 
um, in a way on a par with others. Like for me, having as much political power as a Jack Dorsey or Mark Zuckerberg. But that's going to be real self-determination because unless I have as much power as they have in the public institutions, um, then, then they don't, they might not necessarily control me, but they control the world I interact in, which means that they control me through their control of the world. For example, you know, all these, you got all these schools who are pretty much do anything, got principals out there hooking to try to get a Bill Gates grant. Like they'll rewrite curriculums. They'll do anything to get that Bill Gates grant. So Bill Gates doesn't control me. He just controls like the schools that I send my kids to. Right. So you have to, or like the public discourse, what other people will, how they will treat me. Right. So, um, you need to be able to exercise your rights and fulfill your responsibilities on a par with everybody else through these public institutions that we all share in order to kind of mediate the relationships between ourselves. And if you can't do that, you're not really self-determining. You're determining um, relative to someone else's will. Right? It doesn't feel like domination because it's not directly on you. They're just controlling the world through which you live because you don't have control over the world. But um, it's still... Uh, it, 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 it still obviates or obfuscates, uh, obviates actually, um, the capacity for self-determination for me to decide in concert with others, fairly, like the, the institutions through which we all share and live in. No one person should have uh, a disproportionate amount of power in those institutions. Right? If we're going to be serious about self-determination, I need to be able to control the institutions through which I interact. Not all that... It's not all that a uh, problem. And if you don't have that kind of power, you're poor, right? So like you can, be, you can make enough money, but the only way you keep your job is by, you know, doing an awful, like doing awful work in awful conditions at uh, poverty wages with no say in your working conditions and like at, at the whims of a capricious boss. Sure, you're not poor, because you have a job and a job is, you know, you know $50,000 a year or whatever. But are you, you're not materially poor because you have enough to eat and you have enough to pay rent. But are you free? Right? So there's a, a, a quality of not, not merely spiritual poverty, although spiritual is a helpful um, distinction between the natural and the spiritual. So it's a quality of spiritual poverty, but it's just we're working under an underdeveloped notion of poverty that doesn't include being somebody, right? So, and all of a sudden, this is where like debt comes in. If you, you could be making $50,000 a year, but if you have $200,000 worth of debt, student loan debt or medical debt or student loan debt plus medical debt, you're still poor, right? So you can't exercise your rights. Or the only reason why you can make your money is because you're working 60 hours a week, so you can't actually like raise your kids. You're poor, you can't fulfill your responsibilities like that a free person could right so there are these varieties of poverty that are not just about material sustenance and if you go to the poor people's campaign like they are really kind of hazy about talking about it. he talks about like we need to get rid of anti-union legislation that's great you need to mandate union representation so that workers have uh, a say in their working conditions like it's not enough to get rid of 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 
anti-union legislation, you need to actually say if you have more than 50 employees, like you need a unionized floor full of like representatives, duly elected representatives who bargain um, either sector-wide or within the shop about what wages are, wages and working conditions. And who have the right to shut it down if you guys don't meet um, uh, at, a, at, a, at a fair um, contract, right? Because, you know, one worker can't negotiate wages without selling out every... The only way that one worker has power in a shop that big is if they're willing to sell out everybody else, right? Because one worker can't just go up and say to the boss, like, you know, I deserve a raise. That doesn't work. They'll just fire that one worker and get someone else. Um, but a bunch of workers can, or one worker can go, you need to give me a raise and say like, well, the boss can tell you like, all right, didn't sell out everybody, all of your, all of your brethren. And then that one worker will say like, okay. Um, if yeah. So for us to like all, so you need to not just say, we need to get rid of anti-union legislation. We need to actually think about the conditions of empowerment in the workplace. Right. And so, and we need to talk about a federal job guarantee. And we need to actually not to talk about healthcare because healthcare isn't really, healthcare isn't empowering. It's an, it's an enabling condition for, um, you know, it's like a promissory note on empowerment, maybe. Right. You could have healthcare and still be a slave. That's a problem. You're just like, you know, a slave with a dentist appointment. Right. So you need, you need to actually talk about democratizing power, not just, like these material sustenance. And in order to do that, you're, you're, it's not going to be, um, you need to be comfortable with power and be comfortable with the language of rights. And it's not going to be a matter of moral suasion necessarily. It's going to be about power politics. We have to be willing to shut things down. Right? I'm going to talk next week more about Barber and, and, and some of the um, problems I have with his leadership of the movement and uh, that's going to get a little bit spicy. But what you need to know now is if we're serious about uh, a poor people's campaign, we need to redefine poverty because we've actually regressed from the sense that King was looking for it. And I'm going to put Showdown for Nonviolence, the, the essay, in the description of this video. And just, you know, gather around and read it with your kids because King's pretty clear about what, what this takes, right? And so if you have a notion of poverty that still keeps you as some man's boy, then your notion of poverty is impoverished because that's not what they were fighting for. That's not what they should be fighting for. That's not what you should be fighting for. You shouldn't be fighting for food. You should be fighting for recognition. And if you get power, you know, you can buy your own damn food. All right. So uh, if you like anything I say, go over to thefunkyacademic.com and I will see you next week when I will most likely poop on Revan Barber. Later. If you appreciate the work I do every week and you think that I should continue to do it because I'm giving you the quality of political knowledge and insight that will help you not squander your life and kind of rescue meaning from it, then go ahead and go to www.funkyacademic.com and kick in $5, $15, or $50 a month or make one enormous donation. I like the monthlies because it allows me to budget more and that'll help me, you know, with a marketing budget or getting better equipment that works all the time because a lot of, in a lot of ways, freedom means having equipment that works every time you turn it on. <laughs> and I want to be a free Negro. So um, if you like what I do, go to funkyacademic.com and contribute. Thanks often comes in the form of cash and the site takes 
credit cards.